0: Optimist or pessimist? Which one are you? Glass half full or glass half empty? Well, let me put it a different way maybe. When someone calls you on the phone and says, I have some good news and some bad news, which do you prefer to hear first? If it's a teenage driver on the other end of the phone, you probably want to know the bad news first, because if they're talking to you, then you probably know they're okay, but the family car might not be. On a more serious note, if it's your doctor, with results of a test, you, you may hope that he or she would provide you with the encouraging news first, before they give you the bad news. And depending on the seriousness of the bad news, it can be unsettling. Bad news often reminds us that we are not in control ultimately. There's a level of uncertainty in life. Thankfully, our Lord Jesus Christ is in control. This morning in our text, Jesus is sharing some good news and some bad news with his disciples. This is a sobering text. If you will, we're we're peering over the abyss a little bit into this. Satan enters into Judas And Judas is going to portray Jesus to death. That is sobering. It has the potential to derail the disciples in their faith. But Jesus' intention is completely the opposite. He wants to draw the disciples and us closer to him. And to have us experience with them a greater faith and assurance that he really is in control. He knows what he is doing to accomplish our salvation and to preserve our faith. And We can trust him. He is the great I am. If you are able, please stand as I read the infallible and inerrant word of God. These are the most important words that we will hear this morning. John, uh, John chapter 13 verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after these things, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. It was night. And it was night. You may go ahead and take your seats. I'm going to just briefly pray as we enter into the, the message this morning. Father in heaven, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word faithfully this morning. Strengthen our faith in you, even as we go through and encounter some things here that that can be troubling. Help us to see and trust Jesus in a greater way, at the deepest level of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are going to cover three points. Really, it's just three sets of Ps, trying to keep it consistent this morning. So, three points... Point number one, the prophetic promise. Point number two, the personal pain. And point number three, the providential possession. So point number one, the prophetic promise. We see this in verses 18 through 20. Last week we began this section called the Farewell Discourse where Jesus spends his intentional, his final intentional moments with his disciples. He has ended his public ministry and now is communicating very intentionally to his disciples what he wants to leave them with. At first, he symbolized through the washing of their feet that he was going to the cross to save them, to wash them from their sins. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ washes our sins away. Whiter than snow. Second, Jesus then called his disciples and us to serve each other by following his example of that lowly service of of washing feet. Now, we talked about it last week. as a symbol of serving one another, even in the most mundane and menial ways. And now, John records for us this next thing that Jesus wanted to clearly communicate to his disciples. His direct action explanation of Judas' betrayal. John has commented, commented throughout the gospel quite a few times that Judas was the betrayer. Mostly in his own commentary. We see it in John 6.64, John 6.71, John 12.4, and last week's text, we saw it twice. In John 13, verse 2, it said, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And in verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And now this week's text, it's coming directly from the mouth of Jesus. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Leon Morris, in his commentary, says, Once again, the tragedy of Judas is brought to the fore. It must have made a big impression on John, for he mentions it so often. Here he records Jesus' explicit denial that his words refer refer to all of them. He knows whom he chose. The implication is that this choosing is the decisive thing. Once again... In the Gospel of John, once again, we have the divine initiative. Not all of them are clean. Not all of them are following Jesus and believing in him. In addressing this betrayal of Judas, Jesus is emphasizing his sovereign election and choice of the 11 disciples. His initiative, his choice enables them ultimately to persevere in their faith. Even when they see Jesus betrayed by their close comrade their close friend judas i know whom i have chosen jesus says remember earlier in john we see the promise in john 10 where jesus says i am the good shepherd he says i know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And listen to this. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. As we continue in this text this morning, and we digest what's going on and happening, any unsettledness or any troubled feelings that you might experience or may arise in your hearts, let's, let's just... Set in our minds right now, we're going to push those things away to trust more fully in Jesus. We're not, we're not dismissing them, but we're allowing them to push us to trust in the Savior all the more and his finished work on the cross. He is the good shepherd. He does not lose any of his sheep. In verse 18, Jesus says what is about to happen will fulfill Psalm 41, verse 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This lifting of the heel is probably an allusion to a horse or a mule preparing to strike the one who is feeding them, giving them nourishment. And here in this psalm, the person doing the striking is a close friend. Leon Morris says it represents the betrayal not of an acquaintance, but of an intimate friend. Someone who has walked with Jesus all this time. In Psalm 41, verse 9, David's actually the the author of this psalm. He's probably speaking for his own experience of his old counselor, Ahithophel the Gilanite, who took up counsel for David's rebellious son, Absalom, against David. In the end... The story of Ahithophel and also of Judas are very similar. We see at the end of Jesus' life, he hangs himself because he betrayed the Son of God. Ahithophel hangs himself because he betrayed the Lord's anointed. So we see Jesus fulfilling this prophecy, even in his betrayal of a close friend. Now, in the midst of sharing this betrayal, Jesus makes Not just to say, hey, I'm fulfilling prophecy here. He's connecting it to the disciples to give them a prophetic promise. That's our point number one. That prophetic promise to basically say, hey, when this happens, you know who I am. In verse 19, he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Gordon Ketty says, Jesus knew how much Judas's duplicity would shake the faith of the other disciples, the other eleven. They needed to be reassured or assured that this was the outworking of God's plan and that Jesus was fully aware of what was about to transpire. He knows it all. Church, he knows it all. And telling him, telling them that before it happens, he is saying, that when it does take place, that you will believe I am he. And what we have here is not just Jesus saying, you know, just that I know about this. Jesus is actually emphatically declaring that he is the I am of Exodus 3.14, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am the self-existent existent God. I am the one who put everything into place. I am is in control. Amen. I am is in control. He is subject to no one. Even Judas's betrayal this is all according to the plan. Believe in him. In verse 20, he continues his assertions. This might seem odd placed here, but but just wait with, this, with me for a moment. He says, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever receives a son, I, uh, the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is like a commissioning of sorts. So he's basically saying, when this happens, you're to believe that I am, and then you're going to be on mission. It really reminds me of what Jesus says to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan demands to have you, to sift you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned strengthen your brothers it's very similar there is a not just a confidence in Jesus he is the I am it's going to happen he knows how to preserve the faith of his people when all this happens know that I am and I'm in control I know for us, this is great. You know, we look back at this and say, like, yeah, Judas is betraying Jesus. We get this. It does strengthen our faith to some degree. But I believe there's a further application for us. Nothing's outside of Jesus' control. But in our day and age, and even the history of the church, it is sadly true that not all who make a profession of faith. Always stay true to that profession. It can be distressing and troubling. What happened to them? Now I'm speaking of people with whom we have done life with. Very similar, Judas and Jesus. People served alongside of you. Maybe even in my experience in pastoral ministry. And over the time, we find out, maybe from a distance, that they've departed from the faith. Now, this doesn't just happen overnight, it's often a gradual process. But similar to this prophetic promise that Jesus gives to his disciples, God provides us with clarity in his word that this will happen. Predicting, warning us that these things will happen, warning us to not go that direction. We see it in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. We see it in Hebrews 3 and 10. We see it in Jude 17 through 22. And Richard D. Phillips, D. Phillips says this, we, we accept others as Christians based on a credible profession of faith in Christ. If some depart from us or turn to the way of the devil, we should not be dismayed. Even though it grieves us greatly in church, it does. <laughs> but he says this, we can expect some false professors like Judas. God's let us know in his word this will happen. But just like Jesus intends for the disciples, he's trying to strengthen our faith and preserve our faith because he is the one who is in control. Now God gives us this in his word to warn us against falling and departing ourselves, but he's also just giving us this comfort. He knows everything, and he is our faithful shepherd, and we can trust him with these things. He's not saying it's easy, he's not saying it's not a painful experience, which leads us to point number two the personal pain. Immediately in the next verse, we see in verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus, who just declared emphatically that he is the I am, is troubled. He knows everything, he's in control of everything. But he's not only fully God; he is fully a man. He's revealing here his humanity. He is experiencing what we experience when someone betrays us. It's troubling. It's painful. Tears are shed. And Leon Morris says this though John pictures Jesus as in control of the situation he does not let us think of him as unmoved by the events through which he was passing this is a personal pain to him but not just for Jesus it's also painful for the disciples this was their intimate friend as well this would be disillusioning look at verse 22 also, they're responding with this like, Who, who's he speaking of? They looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. And can you imagine? Can you imagine being in their shoes like, is it, is it gonna be me? We see actually in the other gospels, in Mark 14 especially we see here, it says they, became, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Some introspections going on in their hearts. Could you imagine Am I going to betray the Savior? Is that going to be me? That's painful. Now we see in the narrative that we have before us here, Peter Peter initiates something, but normally he's, he's outspoken. We saw this last week. Um, but in this situation, it's almost like Peter was like, um, I'm not asking him. Like, John. Can you ask him um, so John's actually you know the 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 beloved disciple. It seems clear from his writings that he um, basically gives that his description instead of putting his name in there. But John is apparently laying beside Jesus and probably on a U-shaped couch of sorts where um, the person laying to the right of Jesus was John, which that would be the most intimate and closest experience because his head, when they're laying heads forward, his head would be right at Jesus' chest, really close to Jesus. So much so that when Peter motions to him, John, John can actually just say, hey, Jesus, Lord, who, who is it without probably anybody else hearing? And Jesus answers him, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So it seems clear that most of the disciples have no idea what's going on an understanding. And then Jesus gives that morsel of bread to Judas. My question that I don't really have an answer to is, what? You would have thought John, who knew the details, would understand what's going on, but he doesn't do anything about it. Now, he's probably giving this amount of detail because he's the one who saw the whole thing. But what's clear is Jesus knew his betrayer. Identifying, giving this morsel of bread to him, treating him even at this moment as a favored guest, favored friend, trusted friend. You've ever had hospitality with folks, you're giving, you're giving your food to them. You're blessing them. Fulfilling that, Psalm 41 9, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So even though Jesus, even though he's troubled in his spirit and he's being betrayed, he's going through with this because he must. The cross is. Lurking ahead of him. And he knows this is the only way. This is the only way for anyone to have salvation. Church, Jesus went through this willingly, even authoritatively, so that you and I could know salvation. All glory be to our Savior. He's on the road to Calvary towards the cross. I know, I know at times we can be tempted to, in a situation, be aware, like, okay, this is hard. Is Jesus really being faithful to me? When we experience that temptation to say maybe, maybe he's not going to be faithful, let us remember, even in his betrayal, Jesus is faithful to the nth degree. That he would go to the cross for us. That he would be betrayed by a close friend. Knowing what was beyond it. Jesus is faithful. No matter what we go through. Even when we experience betrayal of a close friend. He knew the betrayal of the worst kind. Richard D. Phillips says when we are abandoned by loved ones or betrayed because of our Christian convictions, we may take solace in the fellowship we have with our Lord who is even more wickedly betrayed. You take it to the nth degree, we have failed Jesus. But he went perfectly to the cross so that our betrayal, our disobedience is forgiven. And we are near to God Through Jesus. But he knows. He knows what it's like. That's why we see in Hebrews 4 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So if you have a family member who who has shunned you, if you have a friend who no longer wants to deal with you, any kind of betrayal, Jesus knows and because of what he has done at the cross and our faith in he he is with us sympathizing with us because he knows the personal pain jesus knows it all and you know what's amazing in this context jesus is not rebuking judas he is actually going towards judas That that handling, handing of him of a piece of bread still is communicating, I love you. Knowing full well, he's going away. So as we're betrayed, let us in our hearts posture ourselves like the Savior. Loving, even in the midst of rejection and loss of that relationship. Moving towards them. It is painful. There's no doubt about it. But Jesus is in control. Lastly, in point number three, we have the providential possession. So after after all this is taking place uh, through verses 26, we see in verse 27, after taking the morsel, this is what happens to Judas. Satan enters into Judas. All right, now as we're really kind of peering into the darkness of the abyss a little bit, this is the sovereign giving over of Judas to Satan. And it seems clear in our context, this is a clear possession and control of Judas by Satan. This is a sobering thing to think about. It didn't happen overnight. It's not like Judas was a faithful disciple up to this point. Judas had not been a faithful disciple up to this point. We see in John 12, verse 6, he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's example, it should be a warning for us not to play with sin. As if it doesn't hurt us as if it doesn't do anything between us and God. J.C. Ryle says, trifling with the first thoughts of sin, making light of evil ideas when first offered to our hearts, allowing Satan to talk to us and flatter us and put bad notions into our hearts and minds. All this may seem a small matter to many. It is precisely at this point that the road to ruin often begins. It is clear Judas was living a duplicitous life. On the outside, looking a certain way, but on the inside, full of darkness. James Montgomery Boy says, Judas, I am convinced, was not just a mistaken individual, as if he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was a deceiver, a devil, a hypocrite, par excellence. Judas lived with the others and pretended that he was one with them. While deep in his heart, he was rebelling against everything that Jesus Christ had taught. Judas did not believe in Jesus. We see that in John 6, 64. (laughs) There are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So we see here in verse 27, after Satan entered it in Judas, Jesus now tells, tells Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus here commands his betrayer to go through with it now. The time has come. I am ready. Now, the other disciples are clueless. They have no idea why Jesus just said this to him. Some of them thought he was supposed to go get something else for the feast. Some of them thought he was going to go give something to the poor, but it was a different story. After receiving the bread, he immediately goes out into the night. And we know in the Gospel of John, night is symbolizing darkness. Darkness is talked about by John often. It's not a little significant here, thing here that, that this is what ends this scene, and it was night. Robert Jameson says, far blacker the night in the soul of Judas than in the sky over his head. James Hamilton says, once Judas had gone out to portray Jesus, John writes, and it was night. The day is over. The time of the public ministry of Jesus has ended. The plot now marches to the cross. For Jesus, this is the darkest of nights. But it was a dark night he willingly endured so that you and I can be saved. You and I can know God, we can be washed of our sins, we can be free to relate with God, to worship him, to enjoy that we have a great high priest who's gone before us, that we have someone named Jesus that is our wonderful plea before the Father, that we have the strong confidence to draw near in full assurance of faith. All that he has done for us, it starts here moving forward to the cross. Now, the most disturbing element, Bruce Milne says, about this passage is the awesome warning represented in the figure of Jesus. There is tragically a road to hell at the very gates of heaven in the sense that it is is possible to resist even the prolonged personal appeals of Jesus Christ and turn away at the last into the darkness, Hell is no mere theoretical possibility. It is awesome. It is an awesome and fearful reality. To refuse the light means to choose the darkness where no light will ever shine again. Friend, we can sit under the teaching of God's word. We can hear the appeals and be just like Judas. Close but not in out around but not inside, never coming to the light, never really turning to Jesus Christ and having our sins washed away. But friend, if you've not come yet, you can come today. You can come today. Do not play around. Jesus will wash you. If you come, repent and believe that he is the I am who then came to die on the cross for your sins. See, Jesus is doing this because he loves he wants to rescue. If you would just come, Jesus will rescue you. <laughs> Love this from Richard D Phillips. He said, "The good news. The good news is that for all who still hear the gospel of Jesus, the night has not yet come eternally. Jesus still extends the bread of life from his own table to the most unworthy sinners." He calls to everyone, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So friend, if you've not turned, if you've not turned to Jesus to receive forgiveness, it is not too late. There's a day coming when it will be too late. Don't wait for that. Jesus is a faithful savior. And he will rescue you from all of your sins. Past, present, indeed, even future. If you put your faith in him and trust him. Now I know for us as believers, this passage is a bit sobering. I feel so inadequate preaching this text this morning. The things that we covered today could cause a believer who is sensitive in their conscience to struggle or be troubled. I don't believe that is the heart of Christ to stir up doubt or a, a troubled spirit or even unbelief. We all need this encouragement to take things seriously. But here's my encouragement to you this morning for all of us we want to foster in our hearts a tender heart to the Lord. We do this by thinking much of the love of God in Christ. We do this by thinking like Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And remember, he is the good shepherd. He does not lose any of his sheep. Remember in the gospel, we cannot save ourselves, but Jesus did it all, even through his betrayal. Jesus knows those whom he has chosen, and he will not let a single one of us be snatched out of his hand. So if you're struggling this morning, I wish I could just sit and talk with each one of you. I was thinking, like, how do I—I was telling Kevin this morning, like, I I wouldn't—I'd love to just do this text. Can we just do it one-on-one so that I know exactly how to apply this to everyone— But I am not the Holy Spirit, and my trust and our trust is that the Spirit is applying it to each one of our hearts, even through the frailty of a human being. But remember this, not just today, but there is a day coming when some way we will see Jesus face to face. All will be made right. Wait for it. Eagerly wait for him, as the scriptures say. For his appearing, the struggles of this life will also be over. And Jesus, the I am, who is in all together, all in control, he will usher us in. Trust him. Hold fast to your original confession of faith. Because Jesus is faithful and he surely will do it.